Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with you here as we approach the, the uh, Christmas holiday. We are going bowling, gentlemen. We've got, uh, I know how excited you are about a trip uh, down to Tampa for the Gasparilla Bowl, um, which is nowhere near downtown. Well, actually, it's not too far from downtown, but um, are you as excited as the rest of the UCF fan base is? <laughs> A week from today, Jeffrey. A week from today, I'll I'll be uh, I'll be down there in Tampa. Wow, you're making a full week bowl weekend like a full weekend bowl trip out of it, there, Murph. Well, the availability starts on the 19th, so I might as well get there. As you know, are you, your are favorite you, city? Your, yeah, your, your favorite city, Murph. You know, I know you've had some great memories in Tampa. Uh, yeah, it, yeah. Let me tell you, those who, for those who are long listeners of the podcast, you know that good things always happen to me. When I'm in Tampa, and I mean that in the strictest sarcastic terms possible. <laughs> All right. Well, I, Eric, are you going to head down there and, and bodyguard Murph for a little bit? And you know, uh, no, no. Okay. All right, Murph, you're on your own. Sorry, bud. Um, we are blackandgoldbanneret.com. SB Nation zone for the UCF Knights. UCF underscore banneret on Twitter. Facebook.com slash blackandgoldbanneret. Jeremy Brenner is going to join us a little bit later to talk basketball uh, as uh, the UCF men's basketball team. Uh, rolls through its non-conference schedule at a 7-2 and two record. But we are here, first and foremost, to talk football. No game, obviously. But um, the uh, bowl game assignments came out, and UCF is going to the Gasparilla Bowl, uh, sponsored by Bad Boy Mowers, which is uh, is kind of a joke in and of itself. It's in Tampa. at it, This is the former St. Petersburg Bowl. It's now held at uh, Raymond James Stadium. Um, UCF has a chance to go to an... Uh, to go, uh, I think when uh, who pointed this out? I think Luke point, Luke Saris pointed this out um, on Twitter that it was that UCF has a chance to win more games in Tampa than USF has since last October, something like that. I don't know, but um, the opponent is the Marshall Thundering Herd, eight and four out of conference USA. Our our old flames from the Mac days, Eric Lopez. Um, they uh, NC USA, NC USA, yeah, and. Uh, the uh, UCF is a 17 and a half point favorite uh, in this game. The over 95 percent of the money is on the over right now at 61 and a half. Kickoff is Monday, December 23rd at 2:30 p.m. Um, we gotta, will, you gotta love that one, Murph. Gotta yeah, love that. doesn't it's a, matter. It's a work day. Work yeah, it's a work day. You get to do a game on a work day, right? Um, it's uh, all right. So, like I said, this is the former St. Pete Bowl. UCF's been to this bowl game three times before. They're one and two. Their only win was against Ball State. First time they went back in 2009, um, where they lost to Rutgers. They also lost to North Carolina State by seven points. Uh, most recently, that was in 20, 2014. Yeah. Um, the reaction from the fan base, uh, how would you characterize it, Brian Murphy? Oh, I think you guys can handle that better than me. Oh, I'm not, okay. I'm it's... not. I'm not stepping into that one, Jeff. Okay. Um, oh, no. Murph, Murph wants. Murph wants to stay as the baby face, so you know he's not gonna. Get there. He's not gonna. Oh, uh, he's being. There. Yeah, no. yeah. Eric, Eric, uh, go ahead and go ahead and do your heel turn. Come on, you know it's coming. Uh, let's just say it's been lukewarm, huh? A little lukewarm, a little uh, gasp. There were a little gasp at uh, the when they found out they were playing Marshall. And I think look. I don't think the bold de- destination is the issue they have with it. I mean, it's Tampa, Florida. It's an hour away. It's actually more fan-friendly. Uh, it's True. just the opponent. 
because nobody gives a bleep about Marshall, nor should they. Um, <laughs> so it's disappointing. But if you would have listened to last week's show, you shouldn't have been shocked because, you know, we, we you know, it, you know, Murph, give credit to Murph. He reported on the, when was it, Murph, Saturday? That yeah, Saturday. Really we were, and you could kind of go more in detail if you want. It was really only two options for UCF, and that was the military bowl in Annapolis, and the, and the attraction there was, hey, you can try to get an ACC opponent or Gasparilla. Um, and I don't know, do you want to add more to that? I mean, Yeah, what, more, what were you able to glean from that in terms of how this all worked out, Murph? Well, no, I, I, those were really – it's not like those were the only things that they – those were the only two bowls that they were considering, like – as a program, I, I'm sure if they wanted to, they probably could have reached out to you know to other bulls. But those were the only two bulls that they were really looking at in either side. And I heard that the Hawaii Bowl was like a worst case scenario dark horse. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, people might be upset at at, at the bowl and, and the opponent, but UCF was going after one of those two bulls. I believe they, I believe they might have favored the military bowl because of that the higher profile opponent, but. Uh, you know, this it, it was either or, and these were these were you know they wanted to be in one of these two bowls, and so this is what you end up at. To what extent now I, does the Danny does Danny White and UCF administration have any sort of pull on the bulls to invite them to that? It, 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 you know, because the military bowl ended up going with Tul- with not Tulsa with uh, Temple uh, out of the American. But, More geography friendly, but uh, yeah, easy, easier drive from Philly down to uh, down to uh, Annapolis. Um, the the thought has always been, you know, why not match up UCF with uh, with an ACC team and see what happens in a bowl? Uh, but that's not happening. So, to what extent did you know? Do you did UCF have any pull here, and how close was it? I I I think it was pretty close. I, I mean, well. I know from their point of view, they really wanted it. Uh, I, I, you know, how close is it? I think it really comes down to what ESPN wants. That's right. that's what it. That's what you know. It happens. So how close was it? I, it depends on how close ESPN was to moving them to that poll game. But really, that's what it's about. And I think Eric is better suited to talk about that because he knows the poll that those networks can have. Well, what yeah, do you think, Eric? Blame, well, everybody wants to blame TV, but really, here's the thing. It sounds great. You know, I love the, hey, let's play the ACC team. Makes a ton of sense. It's a big opponent, so forth. I get it. Here's the problem. If you thought you were going to get Miami and Florida State, then um, I have a Brooklyn Bridge that I could sell you on <laughs> because you were never going to get Miami or Florida State. That the ACC is not going to let that happen. Well, no. I mean, and, and by the way, if you're the military bowl, do you really want two Florida teams to come to your game? Like, who's like who are we kidding? Like, Neither Florida State or Miami are going to uh, bring people to this game. Nobody cares. Florida State have moved on. They're already thinking about They're just wondering about their new coach, Mike Norvell, and what he's going to do for his staff. And uh, Hurricane fans, psh, I mean, they've moved on. They're right now following the heat, let's be honest. They, <laughs> they don't even know what – if you ask Hurricane – a percentage of Hurricane fans probably couldn't even tell you right now what bowl game they're in. So, um, so those two options were never going to happen. And I feel like some people were missed, you know, for whatever reason were, and I, and this is where I'm going to defend the fans, and I'm going to give Murph credit for this because he trashed the projections. And anybody that had projections of FSU and Miami playing UCF was out of their mind, and I think they misled the fans, and I think that's why some of the fans are ticked off. Now that being said, so let's eliminate those two options. Okay, 
So what are your remaining options in the ACC? Well, Pittsburgh. Oh, wait, we played them already. Right. Bowl games usually do not want rematches. I mean, it's just it's not interesting. And, let, I mean, maybe some UCF people would have been excited because they could have gotten revenge on Pitt, but nobody cares. So that's not an attractive option. So now let's talk about the team that the military boat ended up with, North Carolina. Ooh, that's not bad. Oh, wait, there's one problem. UCF opens the season with North Carolina. Right. No, I guarantee you, UCF nor North Carolina, the last thing they want to do, especially UCF, you don't want to play this team now. Who are you going to open the season with? Nobody ever wants to do that. In fact, I think that's one of the reasons why Georgia, for example, in the big picture, stayed ahead of Florida. And I think they should have anyway. But it's one of the reasons why Georgia is in the Sugar Bowl and Florida is in the Orange Bowl. And you say, well, what? why? Well, because... The opponent in the Orange Bowl is Virginia. Georgia opens the season next year against Virginia and Atlanta. The last thing they want to do is play in the Orange Bowl. So there's always these conversations. And, yes, I hate to break it to some people in this audience, the ACC does have influence on this. Uh, they're, you know, they're a player in this. They're a partner in this. And they're like, hey, we would prefer that North Carolina go here and there and there. And usually what happens is the major conferences – kind of say okay they talk to all these schools like this is what we're thinking this is where you're going to go and usually most schools agree with it um so with all those options out of the way in the acc now you're left with what boston college and birmingham as somebody (laughs) who's been to birmingham on three occasions that is not a reward why would in fact i would argue that's a punishment Plus, like, you know, Boston, Boston College doesn't exactly move the needle as an ACC opponent. Because that's another team that UCF has played before. Granted, it was years ago, but still, yeah, relatively right. recent memory. And they're like 6-6, six and six, and they're looking for a head coach. And Wake Forest? Do you want to play Wake Forest somewhere? Like, who the hell cares about Wake? So, I really think that thing Wake was Wake Forest overblown. doesn't even care about Wake Forest. <laughs> Correct. I really think the military bowl thing was overblown. And let's, let's just say, hypothetically, UCF would have ended up in the military bowl. Maybe some people would have been more excited, but I don't think a lot of people would have gone to the game because it's right after Christmas and you're traveling up to Annapolis. At least in this bowl game uh, in Tampa, you don't have to adjust your schedule that much. You just got to drive back and forth. Maybe you have to miss work on that day. But um, at the end of the day, I don't think there was any great options out there. That's And we've discussed this at length, so we're not going to get into it. Last week we thought, talked about the – you know, the issue, the Mike Oresco disappointment of his regime of this, up to this point is the bowl game tie-ins. Mm-hmm. And uh, hopefully that improves down the road. But I also want to make note that we got uh, – let's remind some of the fans here. Um, last I checked, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, uh, we didn't win the American. We didn't play for the American Conference title game. Is that correct? We didn't win any divisions, correct? Last I checked, that's correct. It checks and, out. Uh, <laughs> And last I checked, we're not in the top 25 like other teams in the league are. So it's not like we have, you know, everybody was acting like, well, how can we, how dare they, how could, not like we had top priority in our own league anyway. Um, the, you know, uh, Navy, Navy ended up in the Liberty Bowl, which I think is good for the league that they got the Liberty Bowl. And I think the reason why Navy got there is a couple of reasons. Navy didn't want to play another home game. So that's why they, they wanted to go Liberty. I think if in a normal year, the runner up, in the conference championship game would have played in the Liberty Bowl. The problem is Cincinnati played their last two games of the season at the Liberty Bowl. <laughs> yeah, so I don't think they wanted, you know. <laughs> they've been, they, we, we, they've we've been there, the been on Bill Street. They've seen enough of it, you know. Exactly. And two losses. <laughs> I think they're tired. They don't have good memory. So I think that's what happened in that situation. Look, SMU 
who's got 10 wins and been in the top 25, they ended up in Boca to play FAU. So, and trust me, you see, I mean, that's an, that's an option that was not on the table for UCF. You don't want to go to Boca and play FAU again. So that's stupid. So it is what it is. Um, you know, the opponent's disappointing, but that's life. And, you know, that's what happens when you have a million bowl games. You're going to have teams that probably you're going to play against. Sometimes you're going to play teams that probably don't even deserve to be in a bowl game if they actually had a normal number of games. But I, I think I think we're going to look back at this. This reminds me a lot of 2012. UCF in 2012 won 10 games. They went 10-4. and four. Uh, And yet, I bet you I can name, if you asked UCF fans on the street off top of their hand without looking it up, who did you play in the 2012 bowl game? They wouldn't come up with the answer. Why? Because it was Ball State. In the, what was it? Beef O'Brady's at it the time? It was then the Beef O'Brady's Bowl, yes. It was, yeah, it was still the same. It was, it, everyone calls it the St. Pete Bowl because it was played in, in Tropicana Field. But, yeah, it was the Beef O'Brady's Bowl at the time. So. Right. UCF beat Ball State 38. That was the year where it was Blake Bortles' his first year as a starter. It was a, and, you know, they had a good year. They lost in the conference title game to Tulsa in a controversial uh, game in overtime where the whistle didn't blow or blow. You know, with the, I don't even want to get into it. It's bad memories. Ironically enough, that year UCF blew out Marshall. Uh, but anyway, none of the fans, even it was a good year, it kind of gets lost in this decade. As this decade ends, nobody remembers it because nobody cares about the fact they played Ball State that year. It's probably, you could argue this in this this decade, it's probably the, the least memorable bowl game. Nobody remembers it. And I think we'll have the same reaction to this bowl game five years from now. Nobody will remember it. Brian will forget about it. And we'll never talk about this game after it's done. Interestingly enough, it's uh, that that uh, Beef O'Brady's Bowl against Ball State was UCF's last game as a member of Conference USA. And yep. Yep. Um, yeah, so and that was their only win in that bowl game. So they're trying to get back to 500. Um, real quick, a lot of anger being tossed at the conference about this. Does the conference deserve blame? Uh, well, we talked about it last week, as I mentioned. The Bull right. Tie-ins were not good. So, but, that the, but for this, but, but for this year, the Bull the Bull Tie-ins are what they are. They don't change year right. to year. They're, they're, yeah, well, correct. So you can't just you know break. You can't just you know shred the contract and start over this year. So no. Again, what do you want them to do? Like put a gun in there? Like what game would have made you happy? Like it just wasn't. It just wasn't in the cards. And. Um, Look, I mean, there's a lot of bowl game where you just shake your head at some of the matchups. And it's, look, I hate to break it to people. It's an exhibition game. It's an exhibition game. Yeah. It's real simple. It's a non-conference either game. Like, it's... It's either you like it and you want to go and, and you go and you whatever, have fun with it, or you don't. I mean, that's fine. Either way. It's, it is what it is. Um, you play in a bowl game. You play Marshall. You hope. You hope. They take care of business. They're about a 17-and-a-half point favorite. Uh, so they should take care of this Marshall team. It's not very good. Yeah. It's not. Um, I mean, well, they, I will say this. Yeah. Uh, they are arguably the most talented team in Conference USA. They have their most conference selections, uh, all selections. They have talent. You know, they, so, you know, I, I, again, you, this is a game, and we're, we have plenty of time next week and all that to discuss this. Will this team be motivated? They better be motivated. Because if you're not motivated, we've seen this in bowl games, and we saw this in the Cure Bowl a few years ago. If you're not prepared, if you're not motivated, you know the other team will be. You know Marshall will be motivated. If you don't come ready to play, you'll get beat. That's what we know in bowl games. So I do think that's going to be the interesting story, one of the plot lines uh, in the next couple of weeks. But no, the league, there, there's nothing the league could do in this scenario, nothing. So I, I think you just hope that in 
future years, the league improves its bowl situation as time goes. But as far as this year, no, there was nothing that could be done. And if you, you know, again, I do blame projections and other people that maybe leaked out information that maybe gave fans false hope. Murph, one of the things that will probably contribute to how UCF comes out for this bowl game is personnel. Um, obviously, we got the news that uh, that Gabriel Davis is uh, leaving for the NFL. Um, last we heard, he is going to play. Um, any other news on the personnel front that uh, of, of guys who maybe might skip the game or... Uh, or any uh, obviously there's some there's some transfer news that it's out there so UCF will be shorthanded a few for a few role players in that thing but anything new on the personnel side that we should be aware of at least as of this week nothing yet uh, you know on the night of the bowl, on the day of the bowl announcement we met with only a couple of players we met with uh, Jacob Harris and Jordan Johnson and that's 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 the extent of our interactions with the UCF football team since this announcement so we really haven't talked to any coaches who have all been recruiting uh, or being maybe siphoned away by other schools uh, or other players. So, uh, you know, I, we really don't know a whole lot. I will say, you know, when Gabe told the Sentinel that uh, that he was playing in the bowl game as of right now, his words were as of right now, that was the day in which he put out his post declaring for the draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was before that we found out exactly where and whom UCF was playing in a bowl game. I wonder if that colors his decision at all. Uh, we have not heard from him since in regarding his playing status. Maybe we'll talk to him this weekend. Uh, UCF will begin practicing for this bowl game, I believe, on Saturday. Uh, so we might have we'll have a couple of we'll have a, a couple of team availabilities between um, Saturday and when this team leaves for Tampa on Wednesday. Uh, and so maybe we'll get something there, but, um, I, you know, I would say, you know, yeah, as of right now, we expect Gabe to play, but I wouldn't say it's a hundred percent cause it seemed like he left, um, some wiggle room in his initial statement. And otherwise we have not heard anybody else, um, playing us out this game. Although, yeah, we do have Brandon Wimbush who it's a long story, but he was on a podcast in which he said that UCF has already given him the go ahead. to start A really, a, re- a really horrible podcast, please. Do I mean, not- I don't. <laughs> don't ever listen to it like and i'm not talking look there's two i'll be i'll be real uh, i'm gonna shoot here the old wrestling term. oh boy there's, a, there's look there's a lot of ucf podcasts out there okay and i appreciate that but really in reality there's only two good ones it's us and then the one with trace on it all right that's all i'll say about it so that way we don't it's the one with trace trowco in it but let that he's very you know they're very good too they're good guys over there uh and there's another one that's okay, but I won't mention. But outside of that, that's it. <laughs> Unfortunately, Brandon Wimbush was not on either of these these shows. It was really atrocious. But somehow, by some fluke, we actually got news out of this, right? We sure did. Uh, Brandon Wimbush was a part of this podcast. Uh, no one is sure exactly how he he was made available for this because he's technically still a part of, you know, UCF Athletics. But um, but anyway. On this podcast, uh, Wimbush said that uh, he has been given the go-ahead by UCF to to begin pairing, preparing for the for the uh, for the draft and the combine, and thus he will not be participating in the bowl game. So it's a, it's a very you know, euphemistic way of putting it, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we know Brandon Wimbush won't be playing in this bowl game, uh, and, and so as far as you know, I mean, he did have a, a slight role on this offense. So as far as, you know, quote-unquote impact players, I 
use that in the loosest term possible. Yeah, I was gonna say. I was gonna say. I have a feeling that wasn't really a, like, oh, okay, you wanna, yeah, let, that's fine. You can do whatever you want. Yeah. So he, his time as a UCF Knight is, is done. He'll he will uh, train for the pros now, which is, by the way, I, I, there's there, no one should have any animosity toward that at all. Let 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 him do what he wants to do and look toward his pro future. That's absolutely fine. Again, as Eric said, this is an exhibition, especially when it's not a near six game or a playoff game. It's it's a complete exhibition. Uh, maybe we'll find out before this game. You know, in the in the week uh, in the couple weeks. Well, left. I, I, I was going to bring that up, Brian. I mean, what are the chances that we don't even know until literally kickoff, right? Possibly. Uh, yeah, possibly. We may not know about guys who are sitting out. They I mean. They'll know, and then we won't know because of you know competitive advantages and, and you know uh, and wanting to have that edge over the opponent. You know the opponent has to prepare for them, but then they don't play. So yeah, I understand that. Also, we could have players obviously declare for the draft after the bowl game as well, as happened last year with a couple of players. So um, you know all these questions have yet to be answered. Maybe we'll try to find some answers this weekend. I, I know we'll, everyone will ask about Gabe as soon as we talk to Heupel and see what his status is. Um, and otherwise, we we really have no idea of who uh, you know who else will sit out if anyone else will. Um, but that's where we are right now. Not, not a whole lot to report. We do know that uh, Jacob Harris got his sixth year, though. Sure did. Uh, that's something that Jacob Harris, wide receiver, um, had sort of been vying for um, for basically the entire season, and found out re- re- recently that he had been granted a sixth year eligibility. So. You know, looking. You know, he was a he was a redshirt senior, so you were looking at the prospect of losing both him and Gabe uh, out of that receiving court. Well, Jacob Harris is coming back. Uh, you assume with Trey Nixon as well. Marlon Williams will be there as well, and, and then you could have you know Kevon Ahmad step up. Jalen Robinson, the transfer from Oklahoma, would be eligible next season. So uh, you know, I don't know. If there's not a there. There may not be a a Gabe Davis quality wideout on this team next season. But that coverage certainly will not be bare, and it certainly helps that, that Jacob Harris is back. And it will help, too, to get, have him get another year of experience under his belt. He knows that he is a very raw uh, wide receiver. I mean, before this, uh, you know, even when he was at Western Kentucky, before he transferred here, he was basically, a, you know, a, a, t- a tight end slash special teams player. He really had no experience playing at wideout before this season. Um, and I would say, you know, he's been he's been pretty good. He's mostly been a, a down-the-field threat, uh, large yards per uh, reception average. Um, maybe next year he works more on his route running and hands, all that stuff. He's looking forward to it. We talked to him, again, we talked to him last Sunday night. He's looking forward to the offseason and getting better for next year. But I think the overarching news is that, yes, he will be back. And that's, uh, that's pretty big news for this offense. And uh, I guess the last little bit we can we can kind of talk about here is, um, and obviously nothing is final yet, but indications are that uh, Jeff Lebby, the quarterback coach, is going to leave um, UCF to join new head coach Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. By the way, Kevin Smith uh, is also apparently heading to uh, Oxford. Oh, Smith he was- is. He is. He is. In fact. This tells you a lot about Kevin. When Lane Kiffin was introduced on Monday, he was the he was the first guy he mentioned as far as bringing back you know, coming to his staff. Yeah, like, that was like the first guy that like, hey, you're coming with me, which I think is high praise. And I think I'm you know Jeff, you and I are friends with Kevin. Um, where I I'm super excited for him. I think this is a huge step for Kevin. Yeah, could uh, not be happier for him. 
Absolutely. Um, and I mean, think about what he, he's capable of doing. What a job he did at FAU. I mean, David Singletary, who's now with the Buffalo Bills, mm-hmm. developed him at FAU and things. Imagine what he's going to do with some of the running backs. I know. That he's going to be able to get at Ole Miss, the oh. SEC. Holy smokes. I mean, so let's uh, – I'm super stoked for Kevin Smith, and I, I feel like that's kind of gotten under the radar in this story, in this deal, uh, which, by the way, he is the second – former UCF player now that's going to be coaching in the conference, uh, Jeffrey, with your buddy uh, Mr. Hinshaw at Kentucky. Yeah, Darren Hinshaw, the passing coordinator at Kentucky. That's right. So, um, But, yeah. you know, part of that, uh, part of what is going by the wayside is Jeff Levy will be leaving. He's the quarterback coach. Remember, there is no offensive coordinator. Josh Heupel is the offensive coordinator. So, um, uh, Brian, this is, how big of a loss will this be with, uh, you know, the work that um, Lebby did with Mackenzie Milton two years ago and Dylan Gabriel last year? Well, I mean, I, I, it's expected. That's my that's right. my whole take on this is that, like, yeah, it's absolutely expected. Uh, I mean, UCF, I believe, was one of only three programs that had all coaches back from last year. It's it's a very low number. And it's, just not, it's, not, it's not what happens in the sport. You get poached. No matter if you're, in a, you know, if you're in a G5 league or a P5 league, you're gonna lose coaches. Oh, I mean, it just turnover is a part of this game. So um, this is another instance where people, you know, should not be upset about Jeff Lebby leaving. It's certainly leaving for Old Miss probably means a pretty hefty pay raise, as well as being in a, high, a much a much higher profile league. Sorry to break it to more, you. More than twice the money. Yeah. More than yeah. twice. Every, everyone listening to this podcast who might be upset about Jeff Levy, you would take that deal too. Yeah, and Jeff Levy too, he we all thought he was gone after last season. I believe he had he had feelers from other SEC universities to take over in the same capacity, and he returned to UCF. So really th- we got UCF fans got an extra year out of Jeff Levy that yeah. that this that this at last spring we didn't expect. Um, so, you know, take that for what it's worth. Take that for the fact that, you know, UCF was able to hold the staff together for two full seasons, which is just a unicorn in this business. And I would imagine that this is not the only coach that leaves the staff. And that's not going to be something to fret about. That is just part of the business. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it, it would be a bad sign if people weren't interested in your coaching staff. Right. So you take it as a positive, hey, people are interested in your coaching staff because they think they're good. Uh, that's how this sport works, and you know, for Jeff, if he, you know, it, it, it's not an official as we record, but it, it's a great move, and for, it's a step up for him. And uh, like I said, he's going to make more than twice as much uh, going over there. Like if if a newspaper in Oxford came over to Murph and offered him almost triple the salary that he's currently making, I think Murph would say goodbye to us, Jeffrey, and he <laughs> wouldn't even blink um, to cover an SEC team. So uh, I spoke to David Johnson who is, uh, covers Ole Miss there for 24-7. And uh, actually, because I interviewed him for a separate story there where the softball head coach had resigned abruptly and Ruben Felix, who is the interim now head coach, he's a former UCF assistant, ironically, yeah, yeah. That's here, right. from 2011 to 2014. He's going to be the interim head coach uh, for the 2020 season. So I had him on the softball podcast I host, In the Circle. You can follow it, In the Circle. It's beat cheap plug. Um, <laughs> so, but I talked to him off the air about Levy and, what was interesting is that Lebby was their top target because there was a lot of speculation about Kendall Bryles and, but uh, evidently, uh, you know, Lebby's a guy that Lane Kiffin 
I think, uh, targeted. And I think, obviously, it speaks vol- uh, very highly of Jeff Levy. And that's not a bad guy to be, uh, you know, let me say what you will about Lane Kiffin, but he has been successful. And that's a pretty high-profile staff. And so, you know, you wish him the best. Yeah. And also, per per you per USA Today, which has the salaries of every coach in D1 football, basically, Jeff Levy was the second highest paid assistant on UCF staff. He was making three, $375,000 this year. Uh, only The only assistant making more money than him was, interestingly enough, offensive line coach Glenn Ellerby making four twenty five this season. Not uh, Randy Shannon? No, well, Randy Shannon has uh, uh, salary from Florida. Ah, okay. He's morning. So anyway, ah. um, but, but basically, right. J- Jeff Levy is... is I mean, is it Eric? Is he going to be a is he going to be a millionaire after this contract? Uh, uh, when I, I when I when I talk to David Johnson, I mean, it remains to be seen. Obviously, until the he thinks it could be anywhere in a minimum of six hundred to maybe nine hundred thousand, and that's not including incentives. So, you're right, Murphy. I'll take it. Massive. He, he could make a million if you include incentives. Uh, assuming he ends up being the offensive coordinator. And, you know, obviously gets to work with Lane Kiffin in the SEC. So, Not bad. Hotty toddy, all. I mean, that's, <laughs> hey, man, that's life. You get work now. Look, fan, now I will defend the fans in this standpoint. They're going to be agitated because, you know, I, I guess there's already a couple of recruits uh, that UCF had that all of, now, all of a sudden are now talking to Ole Miss. I mean, that's, that's life. Welcome. Hey, welcome to life and recruiting the right. South. College football, yeah. and, and by the way, and by the way, if they want to go to Ole Miss, let them go to Ole Miss. If they want to stay here at UCF, great. Right, that's that's the bottom line. You know, what, what are you going to say? So, um, yeah, sad to see Jeff Levy go. Although it although it does open the door for de facto quarterback coach Mackenzie Milton, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, you'd love it, Coach KZ. It's it's going to happen. Eventually, I, I also I, I also will say this: sometimes a tweak in the staff ain't the worst thing in the world. If you bring somebody else, get a different perspective. Uh, sometimes you improve on that. True. So, uh, I, again, I, we're gonna be fine. It's gonna be fine. Uh, you know, even if Murph's right and they lose, it, that's just life. And uh, you tweak your staffs and you move on. You'll be very talented. By the way, can I give you guys a useless UCF bowl uh, fact here? Okay. Uh, this is yeah, very useless, but it's very entertaining. Ms. Murphy will appreciate it. This mm-hmm. game, the UCF will be playing, of course, will be at Raymond James, home of the Tampa Bay Bucks. This will be the second bowl game that UCF will play in a stadium that will be hosting WrestleMania a few months later. How about that? The, the first time this happened, this is, and hopefully this trend does not continue, was in the Cure Bowl. Uh, when UCF played back in the Citrus Bowl against Arkansas State in December of 2016. And then a few months later, uh, myself and Murph was at WrestleMania in Orlando. Uh, my, my question to you, Murph, A, are you concerned about that trend? And B, does that mean that we're going to have a WrestleMania in Tampa in April that at the time when you're there in person looks pretty awesome and exciting, but then does not really age very well as the time goes by? Oh, are you trying to draw parallels between a WrestleMania to come and this future bowl game? Is that what you're doing with that that statement? That's right. That's all we do here at the Black and Gold Banner. That's correct. I'm just glad that Eric made a wrestling reference, and thus we can we can uh, move forward with content hearts. Are you, are, you, at, are you still upset about Undertaker retiring, but then changing his mind? You know, he retired in all, that match. Oh my God, I can't all, stop it. We all are upset, Eric. 
Every single one of them has got rock. We, we gotta we gotta ask Greg Lovelady about that. Every single one of us got jerked around emotionally as yeah. if we should have trusted WWE. We, we never should, but we got jerked around and we were made fools of. Well, you're right, Eric. That was a totally useless fact, so thank, thank you. you for that. Thank you. Uh, we're gonna t- wait, wait, wait till later in the show where I get Murph to talk about a baseball player that somehow has indirect ties to UCF that made a lot of money this week. Oh, okay. All right. Stick around for that a little bit later. But coming up next, Jeremy Bretter is going to join us to talk a little hoops uh, as the Knights uh, roll through the month of December with a 7-2 and record. Plus, we'll also catch you up on a little bit of um, women's basketball as well as they get back uh, into play uh, later this week. Stick around. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, Brian Murphy with us here. We're talking hoops now and joining us uh, to talk hoops, both women's and men's, uh, is uh, Jeremy Brenner, who has been doing a lot of basketball coverage for us because, you know, Murph has been doing his stuff for the Sentinel and we and obviously we're big fans of that. And, uh, and you know, I mean, it's, 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 he's dropping Murph bombs left and right over there for, oh, stop it. (laughs) So let's start with, uh, let's start with the men's team coming off a 79 66 win over, are we calling them just Green Bay or are we calling them Wisconsin Green Bay? I know we're not supposed to call them the Packers, right? It's, go ahead, Jeremy. Sorry. Uh, well, we'll, just for the sake of uh, just as simple as possible, we'll go Green Bay. Okay. So uh, they are – what are they called? Or should we call them Phoenix? The Phoenix. Phoenix. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Um, Another W for UCF. They've won uh, four in a row now after the loss – that one point loss – that one toenail loss to Penn. They're now seven and two. Um. I, uh, I watched this game the whole way through, and uh, both of you guys were there. I know Green Bay is struggling right now. can't read too much into this, but it was nice to see UCF kind of take care of business. It was not as close as the score indicated. Five nights in double figures. Cesar Jesus and Colin Smith had 14 apiece. Um, Dazon Ingram only had six, but six rebounds and five assists, and I thought he was just toying with people in terms of handling the ball in that game. Um as we head down the stretch here, and Jeremy, I will start with you. With three games left until the new year and conference play, do you think that this team is starting to gel a little bit more? I think I think that's safe to say, especially considering where they were. Uh, this is a nine new players on this team. And the, the thing is, though, is something that I hope they figure out before – conference play begins is this team still lacks a cohesive understood identity and that's something that's difficult to come up when you got a whole bunch of uh parts from a bunch of different uh places but that's the one thing that this team still needs to figure out is it does not have a clear cut identity like the team last year did like the johnny dawkins is still about defense 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 but this is more of an offensive team and there's no real uh clear bona fide offensive scoring threat yet and it's just it's a bunch of uh parts that don't necessarily fit together yet and i say yet because i do have hope that they will figure it out but as of now 
I'm glad there's three games before conference play. I'll leave it at that. What do you think, Murph? Um, I, I think I, I disagree a little bit. I think the identity of this team is still defense. I, I think the identity of this team is, is is actually what what it was last year. I mean, it was it's just it's just not as good. Uh, I mean, it's still defense. <laughs> it, 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 to be frank, let, like let's be frank. Uh, it's it's still gonna be like we want to we want to win on the defensive side of the ball. And you know, Johnny was upset after the Green Bay game because of you know how. Uh, you know how poor his defense was in the second half. Green Bay shot 75 percent in the second half of that game, and so Johnny was upset. Said, well, you know, we're not that type of team. We don't want to outscore you. I think that's always going to be this this team's uh, mo. However, there is not a star player on this team. I think that's what maybe Jeremy means by identity, because you just don't know who's going to you know take over on any given night, and 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 really. That may, not, that may not be a bad thing. I mean, we, we've seen this now two games in a row with five scores and double digits. Um, you know, so there's not a star player on this team, I don't think. Uh, which, which again, you, so you don't know where it's going to come from every night. Um, but if, if they keep with the balanced scoring and, and the defense picks up a little bit, then I think they'll be okay. That's the thing. They want to be a defensive team, but how how much of a defensive team can you be when you let up? 75% scoring in the second half of a game at home. That's that's my that's my issue is you they want to be a, a defensive team but they're not they they haven't played like one is is kind of where I'm at. At least um their most recent showing. Um and that that's something they're going to have to work towards. That Johnny Dawkins said in the presser that he doesn't want to be the team that wins a shootout because there are team there are better teams that will beat them in shootouts they are more likely to win games when they're holding teams under 60 points. They're more likely to win a 65-60 game than they are an 85-80 game, if you will. I feel like that second half was a bit of an aberration, too, because, I mean, what team realistically shoots 75% in, in, in a half? I mean, and obviously the defense is going to take is going to take some of the heat for that, but, you know, let's let's pour a little bit out for Green Bay here and give them some credit for making some shots, too. And even so... They still lost by, you know, UCF still won the game by by 13 points. Um, and uh, by the way, for for Green Bay, uh, it was uh, Amari Davis who was, tw- I mean, Amari Davis was 12 of 14 from the field for 25 points. I mean, that's 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 an astoundingly good uh, good line right there. Um, Without yeah, a pre-printer. Right. zero three pointers, not even an attempt, not even an no. attempt too. So. Uh, and yet, still, UCF uh, 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 outscored a Green Bay on points in the point, nearly doubling them in that category. So, all right, the 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 last three games, they got three games in the span of seven days: uh, Sacred Heart on Sunday, Bethune on Wednesday. Those games are at home, and then at Oklahoma Saturday. I know everyone's looking at Oklahoma, um, but. Uh, these two games coming up, another uh, uh, these are a couple more good, you know, laboratory games. I think, wouldn't you say, Jeremy? Like, what, you know, what, can we can they work out the kinks before conference play? Yeah, laboratory is a good word for that, Jeff. I think what what I want to see more of is more uh, definition for, you know, and I and I think that what Jawkins is kind of trying to put on the team is he's trying to define the roles better. For a lot of these guys, I think um, I think Darren Green's found a bit more of a role. I think Colin Smith is the most 
Um, he understands his role the most, and I think that's just that comes from experience, and it just comes from playing in Dawkins' system longer than most of the other guys. Um, Matt Milan is starting to get some confidence, and I think having him come off the bench as someone who can get you a quick three or or just a couple quick threes is something that I think that that works for him. I like the idea of Dre Fuller in the starting lineup, uh, kind of as that guy that can start you off because it, it doesn't. For me, I think it takes Milan a little bit of time on the court to get going, whereas Dre can kind of start the game off on the right foot, where Matt needs a little bit of time. Um, but I, I, the thing is, I still think that um, Brandon Mayhan's role is a little bit up in the air. I think that um, who else? I mean, I think Frank you look at him. Yeah, Caesar, Caesar, Caesar's also someone that knows his role a little bit more. But I think that that's what I want to see more. I think Brandon Mayhan might be one of the more talented guys on the team. But I think the reason why um, we haven't seen the most potential come out of him, I think, is because his he still needs to try to find out where he best fits with the team. And I think once Mayhan gets in a rhythm, I think that's when we'll see this team at its full potential. What do you think, Murph? What do you want to see from these last three games? Well, I, I think people look at the record and they look at 7-2, and two and, and I think that might open some eyes. Uh, and, but no matter what is said after each of these wins, UCF really hasn't proven... I, I don't think yet that it, it can beat a really good team. The best team they faced so far this year is Miami. They lost at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, arguably, the second best team they lost, they faced this year was Penn, and they, they you know they, that game should have gone to overtime if Darren Green is you know you know well if there's not four three point lines on the court. <laughs> but but arguably they've lost their two tough against their two toughest opponents this year. They really haven't beaten anybody that great. I think Pepperdine's their best win, and that's not saying a whole lot. And these two, and these two games before Oklahoma, aren't going to really raise your profile at all. I can see this team being nine and two, but I don't know if it tells us anything about how good this team is. I've always, I've said now for a couple of weeks, this team is better than I think, than I initially thought, and that's simply because of how they're playing, just with like how well they're moving the basketball, how well they're sharing the ball. Uh, I think their diversity, their their diversity in scoring is something that I didn't expect. So in that way, I do think they're better on the court, but they, we, I still don't know how good this team is, and we really won't know until we, you know, they get to Oklahoma, and then you know they open up the uh, the conference season uh, with a with a you know pretty hard test right away. Um, they go, you know, with with Temple, Houston, SMU, Cincinnati. I mean, those are four arguably, you know, well, three of those teams are top fifty in college basketball, and SMU's not bad either. Uh, SMU's better than. SMU's better than Penn or Pepperdine, so uh, the you know I think they should win these next two games, be nine and two, that'd be great. Um, but it's kind of empty nine and two, and then we'll see what they do in those those next five against some really good competition. Yeah, Oklahoma. By the way, they've only they're seven and one, and their only game that they've lost uh, was to uh, Stanford. Um, they lost the game by nineteen points, but they kind of been beaten up on everybody. They beat beat up on Oregon State. Um, beat uh, Minnesota by nine they beat uh, Mizzou Zero. by 11 yeah so and then they've got uh, interestingly enough they've got North Tech or they they just beat North Texas by only two that was in Denton but uh, they're at Wichita State interestingly enough on Saturday so that might be an interesting little thing against a thing to watch against uh, a, a fellow American athletic conference 
uh, opponent. Um, switching over to the women's side real quick, we don't, really don't have much to talk about though because they haven't played. <laughs> Um, nope. they, they've been, uh, they, they've had this long break after they had that stretch of games where, um, and right now there's obviously they're still sitting at uh, four and four overall, but they've lost their last two. That was, those are the two close games out in Virginia. We talked about that on last week's show. They got Quinnipiac on Tuesday, uh, at home at 6 PM, uh, followed by the holiday tournament, which they're going to have, uh, St. Mary's and Wright state on the slate. Um, not much really to glean from from this in particular. They got one more uh, non-conference game against Central Michigan uh, the day before New Year's Eve, before they start conference play on January the fifth. But uh, hey, four-game home stretch, right? Or actually, a five-game home stretch. Excuse me. Come, uh, can't really can't really beat that in terms of trying to get your trying to right the ship a little bit. Although St. Mary's the um, the Gales right now uh, are also four and four, so they're kind of a little bit desperate for uh, for a W here. Wright State, uh, on the other hand, the uh, Raiders, um, they've got their next game uh, at Iowa State. Uh, the women's team does, and right now their schedule shows them. Uh, I'm actually trying to pull it up here. It's hard to bring up on their website. They're five and three right now. Uh, well, well, I mean, you can you can look at the opponent's records, Jeff. I'll just say that um, the biggest thing for this team is that uh, KK Wright is expected to be healthy for these games, and the long break has certainly helped her. Again, you know, remember she she hurt herself, or she got she got hit hard early in the uh, tournament they played in uh, Virginia. Mm-hmm. Uh, they played in UCLA, and so she played only four minutes up there in those two games. Did not play in the second game of that tournament, um, but they said that, you know, it was just precautionary, and so this long break has helped her heal up, and they should have her back there on uh, on the floor when they're ready to go against Quinnipiac. Yeah, Quinnipiac is not good, by the way. They're only 1-5 on the year. The only team they beat was Bucknell at home, so uh, they got they got throttled by Maryland 107-52 to back on November the 24th, so um, it's been a rough go for the Bobcats this year, so... Uh, Obviously, a couple of you know, there's a couple teams that are you know are going to be desperate heading into conference play, trying to right the ship. But um, well, Quinnipiac might be particularly desperate, so we'll be keeping an eye on that as we go through. And and, and you're absolutely right about KK Wright because it, it's not just it wasn't just that right because she was banged up before that already, and uh, and it with just a series of nagging injuries. So now, you know now she's now we're hopefully going to have her back at least as full as fully healthy. Um, as possible, and uh, and one other, but I'm not sure if they're if we're going to see the see her. But Grace Stant, also the Richard senior from uh, Red Bank, New Jersey, um, she's been she's been out uh, with an injury, and no word. I haven't seen any word on her. Have you guys? I have not. Okay, I, I, I wasn't sure, but um, they were. She was the transfer from Villanova. They were hoping to have her at least to contribute. Um, down low and help out on the rebounding side, although they've actually been pretty good to this point. So, all right, we're going to bid farewell to Jeremy and thank you for your contributions as always, JB. You can follow him uh, at uh, Jeremy Brenner. And uh, what else you got coming up for you uh, for us uh, over the winter break, Jeremy? Um, we got, we'll have the round table to wrap up football season right after um, Christmas. Um, I have that started, and then we're going to start some basketball roundtables right before conference play. Um, and I may have uh, let's not talk basketball or two from uh, 
either the men's or the women's side. So uh, be sure to check that out on the blackandgoldbanneret.com. Dig it. Thank you, Jeremy. All right, stick around. We'll be right back, and we'll talk a little bit more uh, about uh, well, uh, volleyball wrapping up their season and uh, some men's soccer news as well. Stick around. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret podcast as we wrap it up here uh, on, our, uh, on our Thursday uh, show. Uh, some news to pass along from men's soccer real quick. Uh, two UCF Knights are heading to the MLS College Showcase. It's kind of like the the combine, if you will. Um, uh, Louis Perez and, of course, Cal Jennings. Um, obviously trying to uh, increase their profile as if they had to do that anymore, especially if you're Cal Jennings, one of the most pro- prolific goal scorers in school history, but wish them best of luck in that. What The MLS draft, um, by the way, should be happening fairly soon if i'm not mistaken here i believe uh, it's january i want to say january in baltimore i want to say That's- uh yes january 2020 in baltimore maryland so um no no official doesn't look like any official date has been set inter miami eric has the number one pick oh boy david yep. Beck- uh, there you go uh, and they have Beck- number and they have number three from a trade orlando city drafts fifth quick your odds that orlando city picks cal jennings Probably not very high because that would mean that would be a real cool move and a smart move. And when was the last time Orlando City did that? Oh, Eric off the top rope. <laughs> but look, hey, look, I, I, I could tell you we had Travis Clark here a few, you know, uh, prior to the postseason, and he talked about him as a legit first round uh, draft pick. Uh, you know, I haven't heard much about Louie, but uh, I, I think Cal will be a first round guy, and I, it won't be the last time we hear about him. I think he'll be playing professionally now keep in mind the way it works he might have to start off at a usl and then move to the mls it just depends on the developments and where he goes and things like that but um yeah I, I i'm excited to see where cal lands and look continue quietly a nice tradition here at ucf mm-hmm. jeffrey of players that end up going to the mls i mean that's the thing we have, you come to ucf men's soccer and i'm sure coach calabrese will use this as uses this as part of his recruiting tool that's something that brian cunningham was successful with is bringing guys here and then they end up playing and have success in the MLS. And we've had UCF players uh, that have been successful not only in the MLS, but even internationally. Yep. So, I, I don't know. Hope I'm hoping against hope we see more of Cal locally. We don't know. But, um, hey, maybe they might surprise us here. Um, oh, they're uh, due for a good move. Maybe yeah, they are. <laughs> um, UCF Volleyball, meanwhile, uh, you know, on our last pod- podcast, uh, obviously we, we did the um, – uh, they had the victory over Florida State um, in uh, in the first round of the NCAA tournament. First win over a uh, uh, in the first round of the NCAA in 16 years. Of course, the nice run came to an end the following day um, with the loss to uh, Florida uh, by uh, 25-21, 25-18, 25-17. Just, just way too much Gators in that match. Uh, held UCF to... 145 while they hit 380. The Gators are really good this year. I think that's that's been established. Uh, Paige Hammonds and Rachel Kramer were the um, were the uh, stars of the match for uh, for Florida. Um, and let's and they did exactly what they needed to do in order to in order to take down UCF. I think a little bit it was a little bit also of the fact that UCF was tired after that five-setter the night before, whereas Florida had absolutely zero problem dispatching Alabama State um, the night before as well. 
Um, you know, I mean, playing five sets against an in-state uh, opponent will take a lot out of you. Um, and in addition to the fact that Florida's size is just amazing, um, they had six, 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 seven, six, eight across the front line. Rachel Kramer, actually, who had 15 kills for Florida, she's six foot six, at least. So, um, nonetheless, when we look back on to, on uh, the 2019 UCF volleyball team, Eric Lopez, um, what's going to be the legacy of this team? Because you know, Coach Dagenet was, um, you know, after the match, he was. Uh, I, I thought what he said was was really spot on. He said, um, you know, there. I'm trying to find the tweet actually here. Uh, yeah, here it is. He said, still trying to capture an amazing season and enjoy it. Worked hard, so hard. We worked so hard on and off the court to be the best we could be to make you proud. This truly was a historic year. Um, thanks for the support and messages all year long, Todd. Um, and uh, by the way, Mackenzie Mil- or Mackenzie Milton, McKenna Melville uh, made the AVCA Southeast All Region team obviously well, well deserved. Um, what's the legacy of this team coming out of this year? It's historic. I mean, you can. I, I you know, it's weird, Jeffrey, and I. I as great as last year was, as dominant as last year was, I think this year's team will be actually more memorable. And the reason is because, that, you know, they win that – not only they win the conference tournament, uh, but it was a classic match that aired on ESPNU against Cincinnati. And then you beat Florida State, who you haven't beaten since 1984, uh, and you win your first NCAA tournament match since 2003. Um, and it was exciting. And I, I, don't, I mean, do you not agree with me? Even though, like, record-wise, if you look at it, I mean, that last year's team was more dominant, more consistent. But it kind of reminds me a little bit, kind of like the Miami Heat in 05, where they were more consistent and you could, you know, more uh, had better record than the 06 Heat team. But people will remember the 06 Heat team because they won the championship. The 05 team did. They lost in the con. I think I feel the same way about this. I think this was a huge step to win an NCAA tournament match, win the conference tournament. This is now three straight years you've been to postseason. Second straight year you made the NCAA tournament, and uh, I, I think you know moving forward the future is bright because you have on your roster a lot of players coming back, including McKenna Melville, who again, as I've said in previous podcasts, is on track to be maybe the greatest uh, player in the history of this program. Um, At least in this era, certainly possibly. Right, that's fair. That's a fair comment. We're not going to comment on players we didn't see, you know, in different eras uh, and things like that. So, you know, they beat Florida State, as we talked about, you know, the five-set defensive match. Look, Florida was just, man, I mean, they got six, 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 seven, six, eight players. They didn't even have their best player playing, but they're so tall. And, and that's why it agitates me. And I think Coach Todd agrees. In fact, I think he kind of agreed with me on a tweet, Jeff. I don't know if you saw that where you know, we were commenting about the year in the league. If they would just, you know, seed the tournament properly instead of go based on, man, we got to limit bus. We got to have only like 15 bus rides for this tournament. Hey, let's send that Orlando team over to Gainesville for two hours. Yeah. Like, I would imagine if UCF, for example, and, and you know, maybe you could, maybe you could say, Hey, they seeded it correctly. Maybe they didn't. Um, imagine like if UCF was placed in Western Kentucky, Western Kentucky was a top 16 national seed. I would have loved their chances better because no disrespect to Western Kentucky, I'm pretty confident they don't have six 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 seven six eight players. I, 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 I and and there's something to be said for not you know oh well wow who you know 
you know, like Western Kentucky's not seen McKenna Melville in person. So there's that. And Coach Gillespie, Renee Gillespie, the former UCF coach, used to tell me this. She would have preferred to always play somebody that didn't know her personnel than go to Gainesville because Florida knows your personnel. Right. Mary Wise knows that you mentioned this. They play in the spring. Sometimes they play in the regular season. So Florida wasn't surprised by anything that UCF did. They know that personnel. And unfortunately, Florida has more of it. They have more talent. They have more depth. They have more size. It's a tough matchup for UCF, whereas if UCF were to be seeded somewhere else and go to Western Canada, they don't know the UCF person. I think that would have worked to UCF's advantage. It is what it is. That's my rant, my, my monthly rant about the the Olympic sports getting screwed yeah. over in seedings yeah, here's, uh, for the moment. Check back in softball season. We'll, right. back, uh, we'll review this again. Well, here's, um, what, here's what Todd said, uh, kind of retweeting your tweet there. He said, imagine a day when 32 or all 64 teams in a tournament are seeded, not just the top 16. Every Olympic sport in Florida is going to play an Elite Eight or Final Four match in the first or second round. That's just the way it is. And he's exactly right. Because the quality of play between Florida, Florida State, Miami, you know, SEC, ACC across the Olympic sports is so high that even if you get, even when you get a bumper year from UCF or USF or a school like FAU or FIU, you're already, it's not like it is in other places where you, where you could have an easier path. It's just the fact that the talent is so concentrated in this state, um, it, it's, it's a tough road. It's a, it's a tough road every single time, and you're absolutely right. And by the way, my favorite comment, like, of his pre, he had pre, obviously had press conferences in the NCAA tournament. My favorite pre, thing he said was after the Florida State match, and I think they asked him about, uh, you know, the matchup and all that and preparing. And he's like, and he had basically came out clean and admitted, we've kind of known this for two weeks, honestly, because of the quote predictability of the NCAA committee, which I just I applauded, I clapped. He said, he, like, he basically said, we we pretty me and Brian, we pretty much knew we were going to play Florida State, and we had a, a kind of smirk when we saw. It. And he's right, he's right, Jeffrey. Let's be real, and that's what frustrates me. This is why I always ran about this. If you and I would have come like middle of October and did a volleyball projection. We would have nailed this. Right. We would have said they were going to play. It's so goddamn predictable. It's a joke. Uh, but he and I'm so I'm glad he kind of called it out in his way, in his own way, uh, by saying that they prepared a couple weeks for Florida State after the volleyball because they knew that was going to be the matchup. Uh, and he was right about that. So, but uh, again, phenomenal year. The program is as healthy as it's ever been. And and I, and let's give credit also. Uh, and he mentioned this in the press conference as well. But we'll do this, Jeffrey, as well. His staff, Brian Doyen and Jenny Maurer, I will make this argument, okay? And this is no disrespect. This is not meant as a knock to any other assistants on campus. I think we have a, a lot of great assistants on staff at every sport. But in my opinion, if you ask me who has the best assistant coaches in their staff on campus, I think it's Todd with Brian and Jenny. I think they're the best staff on campus uh, you know Brian better than I do. I got to know Brian a little bit this year. You've known Brian better. I know Jenny very well, and I've said this. The day that Jenny arrived here, I think this program took a different level. I think there, the talent has improved in the offense. She runs the offense, uh, and she has very creative. I think that's been a huge help, and I think Todd Dagena even said in the press conference, he has two head coaches on his staff, basically. Yeah. That's very rare. It's um, it's absolutely right. Uh, so I think Jenny's been a huge uh, part of this success and Brian as well as I'll defer to you because you know Brian better than I do but he's a great defensive coach he handles defense 
Yeah, Brian is a genius on defense, and and Todd particularly called out his um, the game plan that he had for the championship match against Cincinnati. And I don't want to I don't want to get out of here without also uh, passing along congrats to and pouring one out for Cameron Stevens, the the volunteer assistant, which means he gets paid zero money to do this. Uh, he was a high school coach here in Orlando for a long time. Todd brought him on board. It was, was a tremendous value add to the staff. Uh, and then also the director of operations, TJ Reed, who's so good at his job that Team USA sat up and took notice. Uh, and he worked with, uh, with Team USA um, over the summer. It really is uh, an all-star coaching staff that they've assembled. And, um, and, and the fruits of their labor have really blossomed over the last two years. And we've seen that with back-to-back conference titles. Uh, and I think you're right. This team will probably be maybe not, I don't know if they're as good as last year's, but they might be more memorable because of that moment on ESPN winning the conference title and uh, yep. in, and and giving that to the university in such thrilling fashion and winning that first round match. I think that's uh, tremendous. And they overcame you know a lot of things. Um, you know that uh, it seemed like there were a lot of the things that kind of fell into place last year. They kind of didn't. I think even Todd, if we hooked him up to. Uh, a lie detector would tell us, you know, there was we kind of we kind of lucked into that long win streak last year. I think that maybe that team was. I hate saying this because it, it feels like it casts aspersions on the team, but you know, maybe they weren't quite as good as their record indicated. Um, but this year's team was better than their record indicated uh, in terms of the overall quality. So. Um, five seniors going by the wayside, but we're going to have a lot. New, but you know, obviously, Anne Marie Watson still still going to be around. Um, kind of Melville's still going to be around. They should the be league, the, right? they should be the favorites with Jordan Thompson moving on. They should be up right up there once again. And when you've got the best remaining player in the league coming back, yeah, yeah you should be you well, should be favorites. Well, so. let, let, let me ask you this because uh, first of all, this is a, the most successful year in the in the league's history in volleyball. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got two teams. Into the round, uh, they got a team finally into the Sweet 16. Cincinnati upset the ACC champions, uh, number six seed Pitt, in five sets. Dramatic match. One of the things I actually want to ask Coach Dagenet in the future. I actually hate the volleyball NCAA tournament schedule. Like, why is it scheduled around conference championship football Saturday? I think I know the answer to that. But I wish it was scheduled maybe a week later, where it has more exposure. Because that was a phenomenal match, Cincinnati and, and Pitt. But anyway. Both of those teams had tremendous years. They both beat ACC teams. They went 2-0 against the ACC with UCF beating FSU and UCF beating Cincinnati, uh, excuse me, Cincinnati beating Pittsburgh. This American Conference was rated 7th in the RPI. ACC was number 5. The Horizon was number 6, which is why sometimes you can't – that's why the RPI sometimes is not the Bible. They're a little flawed. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I don't really understand that. But I think we all agree the American's better than the Horizon. So I, I think you can make an argument, Jeffrey, that this league is a top six, and with their wins against the ACC, is ACC maybe a top five league. The thing that hurts the league are the bottom teams. Uh, they they got to get better. Uh, that yeah. hurts the RPI and things like that. It, the fact that UConn's leaving is going to help that, but with all due respect, uh, they weren't very good, and they weren't good in RPI. question to you is, and I kind of asked this question, I think UCF, as we mentioned, is the favorite. I know you've got questions about Cincinnati and how good they're going to be moving forward without Jordan Thompson. That's a legit question. I still think they have enough talent to still be a contender. Are they going to be as good as they've been? No. No. I still think they could be a tournament team program. Uh, the question is, 
Who's the next program? How do we get to being a three to four bid league? Who's that program? Because that's to me what's holding us back is who's that team that come up and that program step up? You know, I that's such a good question. I, I still feel like there, like I don't know what's going on at Wichita right now, but they are going to. There, I think they're going to be better. Um, you know, I mean, it was it was it two years ago they went undefeated in their first year in the conference, right? And just right. rolled through everybody, and then all of a sudden the bottom dropped out of them. Um, right, you could I, argue they've been a disappointment since because I remember when they first arrived in the league, everybody talked about the men's basketball, but a lot of people said volleyball that they were yeah. getting hands volleyball. So you're, that's a great point. I, I would like to see. I, I would like to see more out of Wichita State. They finished last in the in the West. I think they're better than that. Um, SMU and Tulane uh, seem to be on the on the up and up, and I really like what they're doing over at Houston um, in terms of getting that program on track. Um, Houston's coach was the coach of the year in the conference, so um, so I, I actually think uh, I, the the improvement to, is to be had out west. I think in the east it's still uh, well, and obviously the divisions are going away after this year with UConn leaving, but. Um, those are the those are the schools I think are are on the verge of kind of making a move right here is Houston and Tulane, um, and then if Wichita can get its act together back to what it was, I think they can they should it shouldn't be hard for them to be dangerous um, once again. So volleyball heads into the off season. Meanwhile, um, Eric, you had a note about baseball from That's Murph. Right. You wanted to pass along here. That's right. Let's bring it back to Murph here. Murph, get, welcome back to the show. Well. Uh, <laughs> Before you, before you, before uh, you, you unleash whatever it is you're about to say, because again, this is one of those things. Like last week, I have no idea what you're going to say. I, I think like I know it. I think I know what it's about. But anyway, go ahead. I would like to correct one thing, and I know it's totally not. It's totally out of my purview usually. But uh, Cincinnati volleyball, yes, I'm going there. Uh, actually, actually lost at Pitt in in August, early season. Uh, and so this is actually a revenge win for them. So they didn't actually go undefeated against ACC teams, but it kind of makes their win against Pitt this past week more impressive because they got swept at Pitt back in August, now winning in a five-setter here in the tournament. I think it's they impressive. Did, the conference did go undefeated against the ACC in the tournament, we should clarify. In the tournament. <laughs> that's, what I, that's, that's what I meant. But very good. I love the facts, though. I love that. That's, I did not know that. Eric, we um, just got so fact-checked fact by Murph on volleyball. Now we get back to my comfort zone. Yeah. That's so, good. by the way, Cincinnati, I believe, will play Penn State in Sweet 16. Uh, if you want to, that's correct. That. Good. There you go. Um, so, so there's obviously a hot stove, big week of hot stove news in Major League Baseball. Yanks um, got Garrett Cole. A, the Yankees got Garrett Cole for a lot of money. I heard. Yeah. Um, in fact, LeBron yeah. James was talking about that in the pregame. Uh, he's a Yankee fan, as you know, uh, Mr. Murph. Uh, LeBron is a Yankee fan, so he was very excited about Garrett Cole and. 36 billion, but that's not actually what I'm going to talk about first. Uh, okay. Over the years, I've been going to UCF baseball games since 2000. I've covered them for a lot of years. I've broadcasted them. I've gone as a fan. The best player that I ever saw play UCF on campus uh, in baseball is and was Anthony Rendon, who mm. played at Rice. UCF played Rice in Conference USA. There was that one year in 2012 where they played in the, in the, remain, in the last weekend of the regular season. Mm-hmm. For the Conference USA title, and Rice won two out of three. Uh, but the best college baseball player I ever saw play against UCF was Anthony Rendon. And he's a very rich man now, Murph. And he's moving out west, making history here. Yes. 
240 if you, you know if someone offered me 245 million dollars over 7 years uh I'd move anywhere too. Uh <laughs> good no good good for good for Anthony Rendon. By the way, that 2012 season, I believe that was the year in which he was a Golden Spikes uh, semifinalist. Uh that year for Rice, he was not a finalist although Chris Duffy was for UCF, which again wow. continues to be Oh man, that is I love so so well. Wait a second. So, Eric, you're saying it's Anthony Rendon and not Jameis Winston and not Kyler Murray? Yeah. No. Look, with respect. Look, and, and I mean, Murph could talk more about Kyler Murray. He saw him for three games. I saw him for one. Murray was fantastic. Um, and Jameis Winston, when he played at FSU, he was a closer. Um, no, Rendon was a stud. I mean, even back when he was playing at Rice, people were talking about him at the next level. Um, I don't think, you know, I know Kyler Murray ended up at a first-round pick, uh, uh, but, I mean, Rendon is a stud, and obviously the career he's had in the major leagues. I mean, this guy's headed for the Hall of Fame. You can make the argument he's the best third baseman in baseball. I know a lot of people love Nolan Arenado. Well, that's great. You know, you play in Colorado, you play a lot of meaningless games. That's great. I'm taking Rendon (laughs) if I was starting a team at third base. I know Murph is right now cringing at that comment. But – um, the guy was the guy was phenomenal. He was a semi, as Murph mentioned. You're right. He was a semifinalist uh, for the Golden Spikes Award in the Hauser Trophy uh, back in 2011. Actually, Murph, it was actually 20- it was actually 20. Well, wait, 2011 or 2010? Because he was also a semifinalist in 2010. Oh no, the answer is yeah. No, he was the winner. He was the Hauser winner in 2010 as the National Player of the Year, and he was the Rawlings Sporting Goods National Player of the Year. Uh, the guy's decorated, well decorated. Yeah. He was a so correcting my previous statement. He was a, Rendon was a was a, a Golden Spike semifinalist in 2010, not 2012, when Chris Duffy was also a uh, a Golden Spikes finalist, along with and again it's 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 the stat that that never fails to amuse me. The, the so so guys like Anthony Rendon and Trevor Bauer were not Golden Spikes semi Golden Spikes finalists in 2010, but Chris Duffy was, along with Yasmani Grandal. Drew Pomeranz, Chris Sale, and Bryce Harper. <laughs> Shout out to our boy Chris Duffy. He's my boy now. What a year. Got a great year. year. Maybe the best what year a great year for college baseball. Ever. Yeah. You know well, who also didn't you mention there was not a Golden Spikes uh, finalist at all there, Murph? Who was that? Garrett Cole. He's had a <laughs> pretty good Cole. week, too, hasn't he? He's, he's also a rich man. The richest man in the history of baseball per – uh, average annual value. It's um, yeah. It's 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 quite a year. And native, you know, native, is, by the way, original native of Syracuse, New York. I should say. Well, no, don't do that. Don't do that, Jeffrey. He's ours. He's a SoCal kid. Don't do <laughs> oh wait, you owe me an apology because you were de- you were defiant. You were convinced he was going back west coast. You did not I think know. he was going. I gotta stop buying into these these emotional storylines because we all think these guys are going home, right? Like. Everyone thought that that Anthony Rendon was going to go sign with the Rangers, you know, and go back to to where to where his roots were. Uh, much like people thought that Garrett Cole was going to sign with the Angels because he grew up in Orange County, um, and and we've seen this a lot. Or CC Sabathia in 2009, people thought that he was going to sign with the either the Giants or the A's because he grew up in that area. He didn't. So yeah, I got to stop buying into the hometown uh, narrative. It's, it that doesn't work in baseball. What does work in baseball is money. Lots of money. All guaranteed. All Big guaranteed. giant bags of cash. <laughs> Big cash money. 
I'm just happy I don't have to ask you like a month from now, hey, what's more likely to happen? So and so to sign or UCF opening day? Like, I'm glad we don't have to go through that like we had to do that last year. Yeah. This, has been a fantastic week. this has been a fantastic week for baseball. Not that it, yes. Not that it means that, that baseball is labor. Not that it means that baseball is going to have some labor strife here in the uh, coming years as the CBA expires and still has a lot of problems with the sport in terms of, uh, you know, its free agents and its system. But uh, this was a nice week for baseball to actually be in the storylines at the winter meetings and have it mean something. And by the way, for those who are wondering, well, what is it? What does Gary Cole and the Yankees have to do with UCF? Well, actually, a lot because. There's a lot of UCF people that are Yankee fans. Uh, are the voice of UCF, Mark Daniels, is a diehard Yankee fan. Uh, Murph, I think you told me our good friend Dan Forcella, the media relation, he's a Yankee fan, correct? He is a Yankee fan. Uh, Jeffrey Pena, who looks like UCF starting center fielder right now for this season, is a Yankees fan. Um, yeah, this, I mean, Jeff, I Jeff Sharon is a Yankee fan. Big Yankee right? fan. Even though he's very critical, like, he, did you really compare Gary Cole signing to, like, Kevin Brown or any John? No, I said, please don't be any of those guys. I didn't compare oh. it to those guys. I'm like, just, I'll be happy as long as he, as long as he, you know, pans out, unlike all those other guys. I even dropped the Jack McDowell reference in there, so. Oh, my goodness. Murph, we don't as have to worry about as that. As long as Gary Cole doesn't flip off the fan base, then he'll be fine. He not be if you've listened to this show, Brian Murphy is obviously a Yankee fan. One of our diehard listeners, Sam Unger, is a Yankee fan. So there's a lot of ties with the Yankees and UCF, so it's very relevant. But how about Brian Murphy in the year 2020? Could be set up as one of Brian's best years, uh, Murph, because Yankees are poised to be one of the favorites to win the World Series. Heck, I mean, I'm I'm reading now uh, as we take this that they're going after Josh Hader, which yeah. which how, how well we can discuss that off the air. What that all? How is that going to work? But anyway. Um, and then your beloved, you're a Laker fan. Yeah. You're a Laker fan who I saw on Wednesday night. They have the best record in the NBA. LeBron James on his way to an MVP year. He had a triple-double. Dwight Howard is playing the role as a goon, starting fights. You could have a repeat of 2009, Murph, where your two favorite teams, the Lakers and Yankees, win championships in the same year. I, uh, I can't wait. Everybody knows it's been thin times for the Lakers uh, for the past handful of years, uh, you know, the, the, in, in, the, uh, in the last years of Kobe and the Yankees' dark ages have been making it to the ALCS, which is still great. But, uh, but no, they're ready to pounce. I'm trying to tie this back into UCF football because we are a UCF podcast, are we not? But it, no, but here's so, you know what? The team that's going to stand in the Lakers' way, Murph, is the L.A. Clippers. And potentially B.J. Taylor could have an impact. He's, you know, he's, he's owned by the Clippers. Huh? Your that's how you tie it in. That's a great job by you. By the way, uh, I'll mention since you brought up 2009, uh, UCF played in the bowl game. Played basically in the same bowl game that year that they're playing Whoa, in this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're getting this train back on the tracks. <laughs> and lost to Rutgers 45-21 because Mohamed Sanu uh, looked nothing like a possession receiver in that game. Yeah, and also and the head coach was Greg Schiano. Greg Schiano, who's back in Rutgers. That's right. So, uh, we will have Herb's back covering UCF. Greg Schiano's back at Rutgers. I mean, we're playing we're, Marshall. We're I getting mean, the band back together. Everything old is new again. <laughs> We've got uh, so we'll be previewing again the bowl game coming up on our show next week. Um, yeah, we got yeah, right. Marshall. That's right. Got it. 
They are Marshall. Uh, and we'll be. Can Murph uh, give us a re- can can part of the preview be like Murph re- give us a a movie review of We Are Marshall with Matthew McConaughey? Maybe I think that's. A- <laughs> Uh, I, <laughs> Jeff, do you remember? Because I don't know if you guys remember, there was a UCF Marshall game where Matthew McConaughey was actually on the sideline. Yeah, and UCF won oh, that game on a on a field goal yes. at the end by uh, Michael Torres. So yes, UCF yes. kicker on Twitter. Six, right? Holler at holler at Michael six? Torres. Oh seven, I want to say it was. So there you go, Murph. You've got an assignment. Give us a movie review of. No, I'm PR sorry. That Marshall. you're right. That was 06. That was 06. Yes. No, I know my Matthew McConaughey history trust me so well we've got that we've got all that stuff we've got uh, plenty can to come around with back? Can, we, can we invite him to the Gasparilla Bowl <laughs> <laughs> well I don't know if we can do that but the invitation still stands out there Matthew McConaughey we'll be previewing we'll be previewing that and plenty more in next week's show uh, for now for uh, by the way thanks again to Jeremy Brenner you can follow him at Jeremy Brenner on Twitter thanks again to you guys Eric Lopez Elo spokes underscore Murphy on Twitter and uh, thanks, of course, to you, the listeners. You can follow us at Black Little Banner at UCF underscore Banneret on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Black and Gold Banneret. So for Eric and Brian, I'm Jeff. Thanks for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. We'll catch you next week.